14. Leviticus chapter 14, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water, As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the, uh, in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair and wash himself in water that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows and all his hair. He shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one lamb uh, the first year without blemish. Three tenths of an ephah, fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and the things and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb and place it where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and put it into the palm of his own left hand, then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And of the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of his right ear of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head uh of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. Then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford it, then he shall take one male lamb as a trespass offering to be waived to make atonement for him. One tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, a log of oil and two turtle doves or two young pigeons such as he is able to afford. One shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest on the eighth day for his cleansing to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the trespass offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb of the trespass offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and put it on the tip of his right ear, of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. 
and the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall sprinkle with uh, his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on the place of the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is in uh, the priest's hands, uh, the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer one of the turtle doves or young pigeons such as he can afford, such as he is able to afford. The one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering with the grain offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him who is to be cleansed before the Lord. This is the law for one who has a leprous sore who cannot afford the usual cleansing. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when you have come into the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession and put, I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession. And he who owns the house comes and tells the priest saying, it seems to me that there is some plague in the house. Then the priest shall command that they, they empty the house before the priest goes in to examine the plague that that all that is in the house may not be made unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in to examine the house and he shall examine the plague. And indeed, if the plague is on the walls of, uh, of the house with ingrained streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days and the priest shall come Again, on the seventh day and look, and indeed, if the plague is spread on the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague and they shall cast them into the unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around and the dust that they scrape off. They shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones and he shall take other mortar and plaster the house. Now, if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house and after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look. And indeed, if the plague is spread in the house, it is an act of leprosy in the house. It is unclean. Then he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber and all the plaster of the house. And he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, he who goes into the house at all while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes and he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes in and examines it and indeed the plague is not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed and he shall take to cleanse the house. Two birds, cedarwood, scarlet and hyssop. Then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water and he shall take the cedarwood, the hyssop. The scarlet and the living bird and dip them in the blood of the slain bird in the running water and sprinkle the house seven times and he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird with the cedar wood, the hyssop and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field and make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. This is the law for any leprous sword and scale for the leprosy of a garment and of a house for the swelling and a scab and a bright spot to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. Now, uh, let me read now what I meant to read earlier. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. 
Matthew says, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And I hope in light of all that we've just read, that little passage makes more sense. Uh, Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the teaching of Scripture. We thank, thank you for the way in which the law and the gospel sweetly comply. We read all this material in Leviticus. We wonder, what is the point? What use is it? And then we we go into the Gospels, and there we find it. There we find a leper, healed by Jesus. And Jesus tells him, go and keep that law. It's wonderful to see uh, the the conformity of Scripture. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help us now to see it with even greater clarity now through the preaching. Amen. Well, this is the final category of ritual impurity. Uh, That is the question, what is it that makes a man unclean under the old covenant, which is to say unfit for communion with God? Well, we read in chapter 11, there are certain foods, things which are external to man, uh, which go inside and make him unclean. Well, that was true under the old covenant, though, as we saw last time in keeping with the teaching of our Lord in chapter seven, it isn't really what goes into a man that defiles him since it goes into the stomach as an, and is expelled, Jesus says in Mark chapter seven. But it is what is uh, what comes out from within, since it is within that there is a world of evil in the heart of man. And as that proceeds to come out, that's what defiles him. Well, that's what we saw last time in chapters 12 and 15, a picture uh, of that. But here we have a third category, chapters 13 and 14, which deal with the leper. And that belongs in uh, still now a third class. The uncleanness that clung to a man's flesh. It was a disease, a horrible, disfiguring disease fitted to describe, as Andrew Bonar says, the horrid features of sin. Uh, There is no disease so fitted as this. A disease which man could never heal, he says. And thus uh, a picture of the loathsome and helpless state of the sinner before God. Matthew Henry says sin is the leprosy of the soul. And thus it was leprosy that demonstrated man as a cursed and miserable creature because of sin. But as with the other ceremonial laws uh, that we've looked at. I'm less interested in the particular details and the variety of circumstances as I am in the spiritual truths that were at stake and that later come out with greater clarity in the New Testament. Uh, There were two basic spiritual truths which leprosy represented. The first was sin as pollution. And one had little trouble appreciating the uncleanness of the leper. Everything about his body made others want to get away. Unlike some of these other things, which were seemingly indifferent, which we've read about in chapters 11, 12 and 15, but not the leper. This was a picture of uncleanness that was uh, perfectly obvious and people had no difficulty grasping the point. The pollution of sin was apparent in the body of man. Here was the curse of God on full display. How clear it became in the leper himself that we live in a world polluted by sin. And that it is this which makes us unfit with or or unfit for communion with God. 
But as a second uh, spiritual truth, uh, there is sin is death. Not only sin is pollution, but sin is death. Indeed, if God is life and dwelling in his presence is life forevermore, then to be clean and holy meant that we might partake of and enjoy his presence and thus his life. And thus we read of Jesus coming to men and offering them eternal life. The life of God which never ends. Which is just to say eternal life. A place forever in the presence of God. That's what Jesus was offering to men. Forever dwelling and ministering in his courts. But the opposite of that is obviously death. The opposite of life is death. Death is the antithesis of God himself. And the leper, as Michael Morales points out, quoting Gordon Wenham, had to undergo in his life a kind of living death. He was a picture of death. And thus, he was in many ways the antithesis of God. He was alive, but his gloomy existence was really more like death, a living death. Certainly when one considers death as being cast out of the presence of God and enjoying his life. But look at what we have in these two chapters, beginning with chapter 13. Uh, Here we have uh, the indications of leprosy. This was the concern of the man himself. I wonder what this spot is or this rash. And he was to go before the priest and to be examined. And so it was not only the concern of the man, but it was the concern of the priest. And it is especially the duties of the priest that are pointed out. It was the priest who was to examine the man and to make the determination. And in such cases where he was not sure, you notice the law makes provision for that as well. He would give such and such directions to the man. The whole goal of the priest in his examination was to be sure and to make an accurate assessment of the situation. For it would be disastrous in either case to make the wrong determination. Either casting out a man who was really clean or else permitting a man into the courts of the Lord who was a leper. It was as though the Lord was saying, take your time, be sure that you are sure. But you see, the priest was obviously central in this. And that's why the Lord spoke to Aaron and Moses here. But you see, speaking of the the centrality of the priest, we might also say that so much depended on his willingness to come. The leper coming. And seeking out the priest, but wondering whether he was willing. Perhaps he was busy attending to other business. A man who was desperate to know, awaiting the priest's inspection and direction, might find him too busy to come. Or unwilling, for he was detained by other things. Which is yet another picture of the imperfection of the old administration. And perhaps a clue as to why the leper somewhat sheepishly asked Jesus when he comes up to him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He was aware of this weakness under the old covenant. Well, one of the questions that we have and that this passage answers is the next point is, what were the realities for the leper? And chapter 13 tells us very strikingly in verses 45 and 46 and, and throughout the chapter as well. The first and most obvious was that he was declared unclean by the priest, not as a temporary state, but as a permanent one until the disease of leprosy itself was completely healed. And if you know anything about the ancient world, that was not a very hopeful prospect. In fact, it was a hopeless one. 
Along with this was the, the necessity laid upon him to declare his uncleanness to others if they should approach. Uh, so not only uh, did the priest declare it, but he must declare it of himself as though to bear and testify to his own shameful condition. Connected with this, and let us not forget, was uh, the disease itself. It was a wasting and painful infirmity, one which was incurable in the ancient world, and it was terminal. The man would die a leper because of his leprosy in most cases. But the most striking thing was what his life was like once he was declared a leper. There was a dark cloud that shrouded his whole existence. He was to live outside the camp in a continual state of gloomy mourning. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. He shall cover his mustache and cry unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Do you realize how desperate this was? Thrust outside the camp in a state of mourning. As though cast into Sheol before the time. As though he was already dead. Apart from the presence of God and his people. It was as though God had forsaken him. It was as though God himself had cut him off. Conveying two spiritual lessons. The, lesser out, uh, the leper outside the camp. Number one. The woeful condition of man in sin. The man whom Paul says is dead in trespasses and sin. He's like the leper. He's, he's alive. Uh, he's dead though he lives. That's the idea. And the death of his life manifests itself in the constant withering of his soul because of his sin. He's always getting worse, not better. And in his isolation from all that is holy, he has no place or part in God or the church. This is how the New Testament always portrays man in sin as one who is cut off, as one who is excluded from the life and the joys of the people of God, one who is wasting away and one who is already dead because of sin. Though he lives, nothing is better fitted to describe the sinner than the leper. But more uh, than that, as a second point, it proclaims to us the miseries of hell. You see the miseries of this leper and you think of the man in hell. Andrew Bonar in his commentary puts this uh, in in, uh, almost an astonishing way. He says the leprous soul, speaking of hell, there the leprous soul is eternally loathsome, eternally abhorred, eternally dead and corrupt, eternally excluded from the fellowship of the saints, eternally hid from the face of God. Everything that God says about the leper in chapter 13 becomes permanent in the life of the spiritual leper in hell. And there is no remedy for him. Bonar goes on speaking of those who might be made clean today in the land of the living by the ministry of Jesus Christ. He says, but if once in hell thou art forever miserable, the high priest that can deliver Never passes through that cursed land. Leprosy is eternal there. But having said that, let us look and see what we have in chapter 14 very briefly. If in chapter 13 it was indications by which leprosy was discovered, 
Chapter 14 is what to do with a man once the leprosy is healed. One thing you'll notice is that there's no provision for his healing under the law. It's just if a man is a leper, declare him unclean. Uh, and if that leper was healed, then you might cleanse him by this rite. Chapter 14. And so these were the pre- priestly rituals by which the man was restored. And even you might say consecrated. Did you notice in the reading of that how similar the lepers, the healed lepers consecration was to the priestly consecration? Uh, so many, uh, so many similarities. The question which we have, it's a question that I have. I don't know if anyone knows for sure. And so I won't speak with absolute certainty, but whether this ever happened, had anyone ever gone under the provisions of chapter 14? We know that chapter 13 had been fulfilled many times in the life of Israel, but had anyone gone through these rituals of cleansing in the life of Israel? Uh, Andrew Bonar in his commentary suggests that they must have. Uh, But I'm not so sure. In fact, I'm fairly certain that no one had. I find no evidence of this in Scripture. And the nature of the disease itself made it very unlikely. We do have the healing of, uh, of the Gentile Naaman, but would he have gone through chapter 14? And do we read of any other miraculous healings? No, we do not. And if not miraculous, there was no hope for the leper. To me, it seems, and I'm not alone in making this observation. I'm not just guessing. It seems likely that it never did happen until we read of what happened in Matthew chapter 8. And that might explain why Jesus says, I want you to go to the priest. But let me hold on to that thought for another moment. Briefly, I would notice that by a series of rituals and sacrifices... That the man was restored. That's the point. The very man who was cast out and put into the state of perpetual mourning, this gloomy existence. He was now accepted. He was brought back into full fellowship with God himself and with his saints. He was brought to the door of the tabernacle and offered a place once more in those courts. The law which had pronounced him unclean became the means now of his restoration. It had been his enemy, now it was his friend. I'll offer you one last Andrew Bonar quote. Once the man was set apart from his fellows as polluted, chapter 13. But now every proof of his acceptance is heaped upon him, chapter 14. But having said all that, my great interest is actually what we read in Matthew chapter 8. We see the provisions for determining whether a man was a leper and what was to happen in case he was healed. But is it not interesting to notice what we read in Matthew chapter 8 or Mark chapter 1? In fact, this is the first recorded miracle in the New Testament. I won't say it's the first miracle in the ministry of Jesus, but it's the first one you'll read in the New Testament. It very obviously occurred early on in his ministry because it occurs early in Matthew After the Sermon on the Mount, it occurs in Mark chapter 1. It was one of the first things that happened to Jesus in his earthly ministry once it had begun following his baptism. He met this leper and he cleansed him and he sent him to the priest. Think of what Matthew tells us. There in uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, you find Jesus preaching on the mountain, not unlike Moses. And then following that, descending the mountain 
to meet this man in his misery. When he had come down the mountain, that's what we read. There he was standing atop the mountain, preaching full of heavenly authority. At the end of Matthew chapter 7, that's what we read. Men beheld him and said, who is this that preaches with such authority? We've never heard anything like it. You see the glory of Jesus Christ as he stands atop that mountain. Much like Moses as he stood on Mount uh, Sinai. Or Jesus later, uh, we read, on the Mount of Transfiguration, atop the mount, his, his, his glory appeared to the disciples. But there, as here, when he descends the mount, he is met by man's desperate need. In the case of the Mount of Transfiguration, it's the desperate father. Well, here it's the leper. But in either case, you notice Jesus descending from the mountain where his glory was revealed into the mire of sin. And we're given a sense, therefore, of what it was like for Christ to come into this desperate world with all of its need. He stands atop the mountain, enjoying his own glory, standing in isolation, you might say, showing forth his glory. But when he comes down, The mountain. What meets him there? Well, this is how Matthew puts it. Behold, a leper came. As though to say, notice first the word behold. Be amazed, he says. Something wonderful and almost unthinkable is transpiring. And for reasons I cannot tell you, the the New American Standard, which we used to use, took out the word behold. But you'll find it in most other translations. It's an important word. Uh, Matthew is amazed at this. That this of all things should happen here, just following the Sermon on the Mount. That a leper should come to Jesus and that he should dare to come. And that we should find Jesus doing there what he does. The leper sought him out. Note that. And did you ever hear of such a thing? Especially given what we've just read in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. That's the essential backdrop of what we read in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 1. Did you ever hear... Of the glory of the Lord coming down to earth and dwelling among men, even amongst the lepers. That he should meet with those whom the law had declared unclean. There is an element, Matthew is saying, an element of wonder that is almost impossible to to express in this scene. Uh, The word behold conveys it as well as any can. But what is almost equally wonderful was what was found in the heart of this poor leper. Not merely what was found in the heart of Christ, but what was found in the heart of the leper. He was animated with a desire first to worship Jesus. Behold, the leper came and worshipped Jesus. Had had ever such a thing ever been done? Do we find it in the Old Testament? Here was the Lord of glory appearing in the flesh that men might seek him and be saved. And here is a poor burdened sinner seeking him out. Dare the leper in his uncleanness approach the priest. Under the old covenant he dared not. The law forbade him to do so. But what, you ask, drove this leper into the presence of this priest, Jesus Christ? And the answer is the same as it was last week in the case of the woman with the the incurable discharge of blood. It was his faith. His great faith, like that woman, faith which realized something greater than the law was here. I ask you, do you find any scandal in this? Are you amazed that Jesus should be found among sinners and even among 
lepers, those who are unclean? Are you indignant as the Pharisees were in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 9, that he should sit at Matthew's table in the presence of sinners? Or do you find rather that you are one like this leper, one who is, uh, to use again the New Testament description, one who is dead and dying, full of sin and all of its terrible effects, within and without, and utterly devoid of hope, unless this man, Jesus, should be willing to save you. And do you remember what Jesus said in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 9, again at Matthew's table about himself, in the presence of the uh, the indignity of the Pharisees? That he desired to dwell among sinners. That that is why he came into the world. So that he might heal them. Do you understand when Jesus calls himself the physician of men's souls. What a fitting picture disease is for his saving work. Yes he came to heal the sick. But primarily he came to heal the sickness of the soul. In that sense he is a physician. And faith comprehends this about Jesus. The faith of the leper, the faith of any man who dares to come unto him. I know that he can do it. It makes us seek him out in whatever condition we find ourselves in. And what does faith find in its bold approach into Jesus? Well, faith finds as the next point a willing savior. And that is perhaps the greatest wonder yet. Behold, he was cleansed. Immediately, uh, Matthew tells us, Uh, Mark also says in his account that Jesus was moved with pity. Christ looked on this man, his body racked with the effects and the pollution of sin, and he felt pity for him. He wanted to heal him. He was willing. That's his own testimony. I am willing. Be cleansed. And do you see there wasn't a single trace of reluctance whatsoever in the heart of Christ. Not only was he able, he wanted to do it. And where would any of us be if God had no desire in his heart to heal us of our spiritual infirmities? We, like this leper, find nothing in the law that can heal or help us. We can only appeal like this man to God's mercy, to his willingness and his desire to save. Is he willing to heal us? That's the question. And the answer which Jesus gives when he comes full of grace and glory and truth is that he is. Yes, I am willing. He says to the poor, desperate sinner who comes unto him. Come unto me, Jesus says. All who labor and are heavy laden. That's just two more chapters down the road. Matthew chapter 11. And I will give you rest. Did you notice the word all? All who are weary and heavy laden. You who are like this leper. And yes, even him. And do you really believe that he meant that? That he would give rest to anyone? Anyone at all who came unto him in faith. Well, who could doubt that now that Jesus had healed this leper? What a decisive proof of his willingness and of the truth of his statement later on in Matthew chapter 11. There is none whom he does not delight to save. And is that not further underscored by the fact not only that he speaks the words, I'm willing to be cleansed, but we read he touches him. He touches the leper. You see, he needn't have done so, but he did. It was enough for him merely to speak the words, and yet he touches him. And why? Why does Jesus touch the leper? 
Because that is precisely what he came into this world to do. We read in Hebrews chapter 2 that he lays hold of our humanity. Now that's a metaphorical way of saying he became one like us. He, one like us. he takes hold of us. But here you see he literally does so. He takes hold of the leper and he speaks to him and says, be cleansed. Be free of your infirmity. Be at peace. His willingness then to invite us into his presence and to enable us in turn to lay hold of his very person. Oh, he comes to dwell among us as one of us, as our great high priest, the book of Hebrews tells us. And never once do we find him in the gospel shying away from his office. And never once did any sinner ever find him to do so ever since. Here is this leper and it fills his heart with joy to heal him and even that he might touch him. Behold, Matthew says, here is a willing savior. I am willing be cleansed is Jesus testimony of himself. Where does one ever read of this under the old covenant? Such power and such love. And yet we ask, why was he able to touch this leper and not contract any defilement? But I think that's easy to answer. It's that he who possesses the cure need not fear the disease, plain and simple. Jesus was not afraid of this man's leprosy. The physician does not fear fear the disease when he holds the cure in his hands. But then great importance must also be attached to the final statement in verse 4. He says, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What is he talking about? He's talking about Leviticus chapter 14. Go to the priest and fulfill the provisions which are set forth there. Uh, Testify to him that I have healed you. And he will declare you clean along with me. And so we must read verse 4 in connection with chapter 14. Especially with that question which I had asked earlier on. And that is whether any man had ever undergone the provisions there. Well again Jesus in essence is saying go and do what was written there. And was this now, we ask, the first time this this had ever been done? And we ask uh, as well, was that chapter written solely that God might now be glorified in the work of his son in healing this leper? I do not doubt it. But what we might notice in Jesus' instructions to this leper is not merely that Leviticus 14 was now fulfilled in, in the life of this leper, very likely for the first time ever. But we also see, and I'll close with this point, something of the law and its relationship to the gospel. Notice the order in the case of the leper as a picture of man and sin. The law comes first. It is the law that declares the man unclean in just the way that we've considered. It examines him. He is found wanting. He is unclean. Leviticus chapter 13. But do you see, looking at that in light of what we read in Matthew chapter 8, that this law which declares him unclean does not drive him away from Christ? It does not make him despair of receiving salvation from him, though it makes him despair of himself. That is what the law does to the sinner. As to myself, I have no hope. But while I despair of myself, I find in the law something that compels me. To go to Christ. It leads me to him. Into his presence. It makes me. To see that he must save. And he alone. 
That, that is the sense in which Paul uh, later says in Galatians chapter 3, that the law became our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. The very law which declared the man unclean compelled him into the presence of Christ. And so the law comes first, but then comes the gospel. Where we find Jesus healing this man, driven by the law into his presence. And any man who's driven into the presence of Christ like this will be saved. So that is a statement which is true both with respect to history. The law comes first, then the gospel. But also from the standpoint of man's experience of salvation. And it's always true. A man is brought under the conviction of the law. He sees that no flesh shall be justified by the law. And that all are held uh, guilty and accountable before God. But it is out of that realization and conviction that he is driven by faith into the presence of Christ. Asking Jesus, will you save me? Will you have mercy on me? Are you willing to save me and to make me clean? But do you notice what happens next? The law comes back in, in a different aspect. Formerly it was against us. We were with this leper in the realm of chapter 13, examined and inspected and found and declared unclean by the law. There we found in that law no provision to heal us, only to condemn once it found us wanting. But do you see what happens once the gospel comes in and Jesus makes us clean? Well, we are taken into chapter 14, just like this man. And what do we find in chapter 14? We find now that the law is working for us, no longer against us, just as this man had found. Is that not amazing to see? Suddenly the law, which once was against us, is there to help us. It is there to restore us and to guide us and to make us happy. In essence, Jesus here tells the man, go now and keep the law. I have saved you. What law? The law that was meant to restore him, to make him glad. The law that was now his friend. The law that was there to help him. Leviticus 14. And are we, and are we surprised to find this, as I've already indicated, that no man had ever kept this law. Chapter 14. But the result of Jesus saving him was that he was now able to keep it. A law that no one ever could before. Isn't that interesting to notice? That Jesus, once he has saved us, enables us to keep the law. He changes our condition and our position. He makes us new and cleanses us. And now we are able to do what we could not do before. And indeed what no man could do before the gospel came in. Jesus enables us to keep those laws which no man ever could. And so that is the order, beloved. It's law, gospel, law. That's the old reformed teaching. You don't get rid of the law. It's brought back in a happy and a pleasant aspect once Jesus has saved us. It condemns first. It drives us to Christ. But having driven us to him like this leper, Christ brings us back to the law And tells us and enables us to keep it in a way that we never could before he saved us. And therefore the testimony of Christ is this. He says, go to the the priest as a testimony to them. The testimony of Christ is this. Not only could he do what the law and the Old Testament priesthood never could. But what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy 
but to fulfill. Amen. And let us return our praise to God now as we stand together and sing uh, hymn 291 from the Trinity Psalter hymnal, hymn 291. And please